We are in part five of our series through the book of Second Thessalonians entitled The Awakened Series. And today's message is Wake Up and Stand Firm. Uh, we are going to begin in Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. If you want to kind of get there ahead of time, it's page 984. And the Bible's under the seat in front of you, 984. Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. But as we get into this, let me just share a little bit of uh, reminder of last week. Last week we talked about the fact that there are, there are enemies uh, that, that come against us and the enemies are not anyone uh, in flesh around us. But we have three, the world, the flesh, the devil. How are we to do warfare against the world, the flesh, the devil? Because really, they need to kind of get us to buy into stuff through deception so that the true damage is wrecked in our life. So how do we resist that? How do we fight that? Well, the Bible says, uh, especially Paul in talking about the armor of God, he said that he has given us some defenses to have in our lives. So he talked about the helmet of salvation where our minds are guarded with knowing who we are in Christ, that we have been rescued with the breastplate of righteousness that as Christ's righteousness has been given to us, that shields our hearts and our spirits, that our belt of truth is wrapped around our waist, that, that all the things that hold us together are what is true and right in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our feet shod for the preparation of the gospel of peace, given a shield of faith by which to extinguish all the arrows of the evil one. And we are indeed given the sword of the spirit that is the word of God that we rightly handle. And so as we are given these uh, this weaponry and this armory around us, how then ought we to fight? Well, in one sense, we are just to stand. It seems kind of silly that you'd get all dressed up and then you're just supposed to stand there. Well, standing does seem silly if there is territory to conquer. But what if it's already been won? What is your job if you have had territory already taken and you are stationed there? What is your job to do? Hold it. Your job is to stand your ground. Your job is not to turn and run. Your job is to make sure the enemy never advances upon you, that you push back. If indeed Jesus Christ destroyed the works of the devil on the cross, so much of what we are called to do is not go take territory, but to hold the territory that Jesus already won. Amen? So I think that as we look at this, it says, having done all that you can, I want you to stand there. I want you to stay strong. I want you to understand your identity in Christ and understand your spiritual reality. Jesus defeated the works of the enemy on the cross. That is a fact. But it seems like as we look around the world, we say, but Jesus, I know you're king. How come not everybody recognizes you as king? Jesus, I know you are the ruler, but yet the whole world does not seem to be under your rule. We live in a world of already, but not yet. An already, but not yet. Already, Jesus Christ has won, but not yet has he fully engaged his reign. There will come a day when Jesus Christ will ride in on a white horse and he will make all things right. It says after he was resurrected, he sat at the right hand of the father until the father put all enemies underneath his feet in subjection. There will come a time when he rides in as the rightful king and every knee will bow and 
tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But until that day, there are skirmishes, there are rebels in the kingdom, there are different battles waging all over the place as the devil in somewhat of a, of a panic begins to rise up different attacks all over the place seeking who he can devour, seeking who he can destroy, what he can disrupt. And that is why we are still in spiritual warfare. But in talking about victory already won, can we take a look at Colossians 2.9? Some of you were called here this morning merely to be encouraged about what God has already done. Some of you may be discouraged and today is your day. Today is this beautiful day where you get saturated with the word of God. So I don't know how you do it. Uh, for me, sometimes it's a little bit difficult. But however you can position yourself to actually own what God says, I need you to do that now. Because I'm about to read some scripture to you. We're about to talk about the truth of God. But if you merely, it only kind of hits your head and bounces off, we haven't gone anywhere, right? So how do we get this knowledge through our minds to soak down into our hearts where we actually believe it? There have been many times in our lives, perhaps some of us with bad pasts, that someone has said they loved us, but we do not believe we are worthy to be loved and therefore we have blocked any sort of love. Unfortunately, there's a lot of us doing that with God today, that we believe that because we cannot see him in front of us, that his love for us is somewhat less than. There are some of us that even if we do believe that he exists, even if we do believe that he's a loving God, we seem to only believe it for everyone else other than ourselves. And there are some that maybe are bound by fear and hassled by the enemy to where it makes it feel like there's got to be some reason that you don't not know about of why God doesn't love you. So I don't know what kind of mental gymnastics you got to do to open up your heart, but I just pray that somehow, some way you would do that. So as we begin to read this, it becomes real and true. It says this, Colossians 2, 9, for in him, who is him? Jesus Christ, for in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you as believers have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith. And the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here's the key, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Church, all in Greek means all. Praise the Lord. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. He nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is a fact. It does not ultimately matter what you think about it or how you feel about it. That is exactly what occurred. Therefore, if Jesus Christ has won such a great victory, we ought to think a little bit differently about our lives. So where must we stand firm? What are the things that he has won for us? I'm just going to read you these thoughts, these truths that as I look at scripture, they seem so clear and so obvious. See if you can receive this today. 
when God reveals the gospel of Jesus Christ into our lives and we trust in him as our only savior, surrendering our lives into his, we are unified with him, just like a marriage. He trades his perfect life for ours in substitution. We then get all of his perfection, all of his righteousness. We are forgiven for all of our sin. We are purified by his grace. And therefore we stand firm in the hope that he will get us home safe and sound to receive all the blessings of eternal life with God and all the inheritance waiting there in Jesus. It is this trust that allows Christ to flow into our lives unhindered and releases all his blessings into us. If we do not trust, if we give up ground in doubt or temptation or compromise, we lose blessing. But as we cling, as we are protected and held by Christ's power in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as we cling to the hem of Christ's robe, we will be ushered into eternity as one who has been rescued by a deliverer. And it is critical that we cling in faith to the one who saves us. Can you receive that? Is that true for you? Are there still battles? Yes. Is there still confusion? Yes. Is there still frustration? Certainly. But that does not mean that what is true is not true. Y'all know me pretty well, and some of you are, are new here, but... But y'all know that I've been on, on medication for about the last 18 years of my life. It's almost half of my entire life I have uh, had medication for panic disorder. And there's a certain degree to where it's got to calm down things in my mind. And so the firing can't go off like it wants to go off. And I wonder to what degree how much that has impacted how I can feel certain environments. Now, whether that has any bearing on what I'm about to say or whether that's just my personality, it's been too long for me to know. But understand this, when I engage in different Christian activity, when I'm engaging in church, when I'm praying, when I'm worshiping, stuff like that, a lot of times I don't feel anything. I do not get to feel the warm fuzzies that a lot of you feel. I don't get to, when I'm interceding, I don't always get to feel like the prayers are matter, mattering. I, I don't always get to, to feel that God, even though I know his presence is here, I can watch him walk through the room. I can see him engage with you, but I don't always feel it. And, and as a matter of fact, the majority of the time, I can't feel it in worship. A lot of times that this is your connection with God. You're all fired up and you can feel it and it's intense and, and you feel like your heavenly father's just loving on you. A lot of times I can't feel any of those things, but that does not mean they are not true. It does not mean that just because I can't feel God that he's not here among us. It doesn't mean that just because I can't feel that my worship matters that it doesn't matter. It, just because I can't feel my prayers go past the ceiling doesn't mean that they don't. So I need all of us to understand that how you personally feel about something does not alter the reality of what it is. And what it is is that if you are a child of God, Jesus Christ has died for you and he has rescued you. And he has put you into his family. And whether or not you can settle into that doesn't change that fact. Jesus Christ is victorious. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And what you're going to find is every time I talk about spiritual warfare, I'm going to remind you of this phrase. If Jesus Christ is for us, who can be against us? Indeed, if Jesus Christ is for us, who cares who's against us? You know what I'm saying? 
Praise the Lord. The fill in the blank is this in front of you. We have what we need to be strong. We have what we need to be strong. Why? Because Jesus bought it for us. Jesus gave it to us. It is not that we are strong in and of ourselves. It's not that somehow we are all that. It's that we know the one who is all that. And he has called us children. We have what we need to stay strong. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. It's page 989 in your Bibles. This is, a, this is a portion of a letter where you get a pastor who's super concerned about his congregation. Right? So even if, if you could picture, maybe let's make it a little more practical. Let's say I was writing you a letter. As you all know how much I love you, you know how much I'm willing to do for you, you know that I would die for you. In the same way, Paul had this congregation called the Thessalonians. And they were completely scared and skittish and messed up because someone told them they missed the coming of Jesus Christ. So they were freaked out. They were like, I knew it. I knew I wasn't saved, right? And they just completely lost and in a dither and they were under persecution. They're getting beat up for their faith and it was just a mess. And so their, their spiritual dad writes them a letter And he's like, kids, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yeah, now I'm going to get on your case because you know better than that. But come on, let me encourage you. You know, come on, gather around. We're going to talk about this. Let me talk about there is so much God is doing for you. First of all, no, you didn't miss it. Second of all, no, you're not going to miss it because our Jesus Christ is greater than that. So as I read this, maybe you just need to be comforted. Maybe you just need this kind of encouragement. Maybe this is to pour into you. Let me just read kind of through it. We're in 2 Thessalonians. I'm going to read from verse 13 through chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, Let's just get kind of the heart of it, and then we'll go back and, and tear it apart, all right? It begins like this. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and through belief in the truth to this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you are taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish your hearts in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as it happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful He will establish you and he will guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. All right, let's zoom back to the beginning and let's take a look at what it says. But we, who is we? Well, if you remember, it is Paul, Silas, Timothy, whatever the leadership is that is writing this letter that that led the Thessalonians into the gospel in the very first place. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. 
Why? Because it's right, because it's good, because it's necessary. What God is doing deserves praise. We've talked about that a number of times. So let me just kind of make this practical. So I find out, I'm going back and talking with Courtney, who's in charge of, of, of the Uganda outreach. And, and you understand that we have a thousand children that uh, have come into schools over in Uganda. And this is an insurmountable number, kind of in my mind, it's 200 bucks a kid, you know, to, to, for their whole year where they get their meal and they get their little uniforms and they have this education. We're in that, cent, that area of that region. We're literally changing the future because these kids are being educated. And this has never happened before. There was no schools where they could go to. There was no way they could be given the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? So as this right in the middle, sometimes a witchcraft central, we now have this beacon of light where even the witch doctors send their kids to a Christian school because now it's the idea that they know Pastor Steve knows what he's talking about and he's ministering to these kids, right? So as all these kids are being given the gospel and being trained up for life, we happen to mention this to you guys. And I'm doing the math in my head, right? And I'm thinking, man, that's 200 grand. Who in the world, you know, how are you going to get 200 grand for a thousand kids that you don't know? So I'm talking to Courtney and she said, all right, so set aside all the kids that have already been sponsored last year that are going to get sponsored again. So like, for example, my wife and I, we have two little ones that we sponsor. And so you slide all those, those were not counted for. I said, where are we at? She said, you know what? That first weekend we came in here, 32,000 bucks was just dropped on kids to make sure that they're okay. Now that's awesome. Now that is something we ought to give thanks to God for. That's something that you go, what? No way. Where in the world do you have an extra 32 grand, you know, from all of us where somehow that gets poured in? That means that hundreds and hundreds of kids are being sponsored. It's it's awesome, right? And then I come home uh, yesterday, uh, excuse me, Friday from uh, Pastor Sherwood's uh, homegoing memorial ceremony. Yeah, Pastor Sherwood Carthen of Bayside, South Sacramento, right? My buddy. So we go to that, and man, that was hardcore church, right? Five hours. It's like, what? So if y'all think that we're long here, whatever. Y'all need to grow up, right? Now, I, even me being pastor guy, after three hours, I was like, I am emotionally done. I'm calling it right now, right? Because how much can you cry? He has a, the grandkids are reading their letters to Papa, and, and your, your heart's breaking, and, 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 Sh- and Charlene, his wife, she actually goes up and speaks, and, you know, and she's, she's a mess, and, and I'm crying, and, and somehow the tissue box disappeared, and so I have that one same tissue that now, <laughs> is just like the little tiny bits and pieces, right? And I just keep using that both for tears and snot. And it's, but they brought in some of the best speakers from all around the United States. So it's just, just home run after home run after home run talking about, there's this choir going to town. They got the rags going. I mean, it's a, I mean, it was, it was intense, but the, the, the thing that was, that really, really impressed me was it wasn't just, he wasn't just a, a man of faith. He was a man of action. He was a man that changed community. And I was watching the whole time and this, this moves me, right? I've never been in the military. I have tremendous respect for the military. It's kind of one of my, my regrets that God didn't have me go down that route. Um, but, but he had full honor guard as a police officer. He's not a police officer. The, the, the chief of police spoke at his funeral 
and they had a guard over his casket up front the whole time. And they would shift out every 20 minutes. So you'd have the honor guard come up and they would salute and let the next one go. And then they would have a constant rotation that over the whole five hours, he's guarded by police officers. At the end, they have the honor guard come up, snap the flag out, fold it up. They hand it to the, uh, the chief of police. He hands it to Charlene personally. Why? Because Sherwood stepped out and did good things for the community. He was out there and changing how, how you interact with uh, the gang population. There's the clergy and cops. There's the, the whole thing trying to eliminate the heavy use of tobacco in the, in the black community. And he just kept doing good stuff. We need to be able to celebrate that. It's probably because of that service, which is why I'm so loud right now. Right, <laughs> But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord. And you go, oh, that's a cute name, brothers, beloved by the Lord. I like that. That's cool. You missed it. Paul just name dropped. Why? Because that's a phrase. That's a quote from the Old Testament. It's a quote in Deuteronomy. Before Moses died, he gave a blessing to all the tribes of Israel. And one tribe, he called them... Uh, brothers beloved by the Lord. Do you know who that was? It was the, the tribe of Benjamin. Guess what tribe Paul's from? Yeah, right. That's his buddies. That's his family line. So he just dropped that bomb in there and said, by the way, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. We got this blessing, but I'm telling you, this blessing extends to you. It's not just because here's what the blessing was. Brothers beloved by the Lord are protected. That was the blessing. Brothers beloved by the Lord are protected by God himself. So he says right here, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, insinuating you are protected by God. Why? Because God chose you. Listen, I'm not going to get into a predestination versus free will argument with you. I don't really care. And you're, you're going to be, oh, well, here's an election passage. Lancia. You're not preaching. I'm preaching. So... What that means is that regardless, regardless of how you feel about this, I don't care whether you're Arminian or you're Calvinistic, God chose you. At no point in any way can you ever come up with a concept where you chose God, where it was your idea. The Bible says that we were dead in our transgressions. We were dead in our sins. It was always his initiation. It was always his plan. It was always his love first. So no matter what your viewpoint is, it must always begin with God. God chose us. And he chose us as the first fruits to be saved. And I, there's a lot of ways you can read that in Greek and different translations move the words around. But in general, let's run with a concept of first. He chose you first, whether that's the first in the region or the first in that city or whatever. doesn't matter. Here's the cool thing. If you're first, that usually means someone's what? Behind you. There you go. You're not the only one. So as much as they have been rescued by, with, by God, there's so many more to come. There is a whole nother harvest that is continuing to come in. I would pray that right here in this church, even as we look upon about a thousand people, that we are just the first fruits of this region. That indeed many, many more tens and hundreds of thousands may come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ in our region. 
And that's what we're praying for. Because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. How did he do that? Through sanctification by the Spirit. Where believers are selected out and the Holy Spirit rescues us and puts you in a separate section and says, you're mine for my purposes. He made us holy. Through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth, the Bible says that, and by believing you may have life in his name. By believing. What does believing mean? Believing means trust. And you go, I don't don't know if I have enough trust. I don't have enough faith. Listen, I don't want to get into the whole faith thing. I don't even know how that all works. I've been sorting through this stuff with, you know, the the gifts of the spirit and how the power and the presence works and all this stuff. And I don't, I don't know, right? I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm still just a baby in this stuff, just sorting out how faith works. But here's the bottom line on what we need to know. There's a certain level of faith that makes you run to the right person. That's what we need. So for example, if I told you, hey, there's a fire on this side of the auditorium and you all looked up and saw the exit sign, you have some faith to run out that door, right? Now, if you really thought that that was a bogus sign, it was just a fake wall, you would never run that way. So even the bare bottom line faith of going, I need help. Look, there's somebody with the sign of a doctor on their head. I'm running that way. In the same way, you're here because there's an element of faith that says God is not only real, but that you can somehow be in connection to him. That is powerful. I know you don't feel like you have all the faith in the world. I don't have all the faith in the world, but we have enough to know who to run to, right? And that's where we got to begin. To this great salvation, verse 14, to this He, God, has called you through our gospel. He got your attention. He rescued you. He drew you and made you alive through the saving truth of the gospel. Why? So that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When God saves, he leads to glorification. That means that if we know we are saved in him and we know that we will be glorified with him, then we don't have to worry so much about the middle. There's an awful lot of worry about the middle. And every time I think about my life and how much I can screw it up, I worry about the middle. But here's the deal. If Jesus began a good work in us, he will be faithful to complete it. Therefore, he's got the middle. That's the point. So we need to trust in the Lord and realize he's got this one. He can handle this. Have you seen the Trinity already spread out where we just read? It just fired out the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Understand, they're all involved in our process of being rescued. And when you got all God all the time, we can take a little more peace into our lives. So then, it says in verse 15, so then if God loves us like this, if he rescues us, if he purposes us towards glorification and salvation, so then, brothers, stand firm do not move from stand firm and hold don't let it slip away don't let it be taken away stand firm and hold on to what to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter that means the gospel the way that it has always been is that tradition means handed down so it went from god through jesus christ to the disciples, to us. Now, it was always that way. It's how the 5,000 were fed. God blesses Jesus Christ by multiplying the loaves and the fish, but he did not hand it to the people directly. Do you remember that? 
He handed it to his disciples who then handed it to the people. It's always been a process by which he utilizes humans to minister to humans. Therefore, could God make sure that he rips heaven open, scares the living daylights out of everybody in the greater Sacramento region, and they all get saved? Could he? Yes. How does he want to do it? He's handing you bread. That means it's your job to go hand that bread to somebody else. That means that he will utilize us as a congregation to give the gospel. Does he have to use us? No. As a matter of fact, this is a horribly inefficient plan, right? At least from our perspective, but he loves it and he's bigger than our weakness. And so he then empowers us and says, come on, kids, let's get out there. Let's talk about it. You got friends. You got people that you love on. You got family. You got everybody around you. You got coworkers. You got students. You got everybody around you. Would you tell them what I told you? Would you give them what I gave you freely? You have received. I want you to freely give it to them. Listen, it's, it's weird for me to try to talk about solid doctrine in this church because we're always on the edge of Phariseeism anyway. So, so, uh, but, but understand there are certain things that are immovable in this church. When we're talking about solid gospel doctrine, when we're talking about things that will not change, we're talking about stuff like the Trinity. Listen, Uh, We believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that God is three persons, one God. We are not moving off of that. There is no time that this church, as long as I'm around, is ever going to move off that place. Therefore, we can argue about all kinds of stuff. We can argue about when Jesus is coming back. Is it pre, mid, post? Who cares? I will not move off the Trinity. When we baptize, we baptize in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are making sure that all of God is represented in this church. In the same way, we will not move on the deity of Jesus Christ. If you want to come in and argue with me and talk about how Jesus was this and that, he better be fully God and fully man. Jesus' nature is not up for grabs in this church. We can argue about predestination and free will. We can argue about how God calls people to himself. But we're not going to argue about the fact that Jesus Christ is God. We will not move off this doctrine. Amen? And you know what? We, We are not going to argue... We can have questions, we can have discussions, we can have uh, um, understanding, but we will not move off. We are saved by grace through faith alone. We are, it's never going to be by works. Now, if you have saving faith, you're going to have works or else it ain't saving faith. So I don't want to get into that argument with you. Just as a swimmer gets wet. You heard that? Just as a swimmer gets wet, so does a Christian produce good works. You can't be a swimmer without getting wet. You can't be a Christian without doing good works. So it's an obvious outpouring, but we will not move off being saved by grace through faith alone. We can argue about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We can argue about what's going on today. We can argue about how it's utilized in the church. That's fine, but we're not moving off how we are saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. These things we will be firm on. Now, in your present time of struggle, Thessalonians, Paul says, 
May our Lord, our Master, our King, our Ruler, the one in control, may Jesus Christ Himself, who died and rose again, may God the Father, the Creator, and our Abba, who loved us and demonstrated it by sending His only Son to die for us and has given us eternal comforts and good hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint through grace, may He comfort your hearts in your pain and confusion. May He establish your hearts in every good work and work word who's in charge of establishing you it's god so next time you fall off your bike riding with the father and you fall off and you crash and you get muddy and you get all that stuff next time you screw up next time you bail out next time you cave next time you compromise next time you you uh, fall into temptation next time that you rebel personally against god every time you fail to meet his expectations i want you to remember two things your identity in christ and the word grace because that's what your heavenly father's looking at Your identity in Jesus Christ is that he died for you. He covered you. And so the father, when he looks at you, he sees righteousness because of what Jesus did on the cross. And number two, I want you to understand what grace means. And these two things should let you get back up on your bike and brush yourself off because what dad is saying is, hey, are we going? What are we doing? Come on, we're on a bike ride. Let's go. Let's go. Get up on your bike. Oh, I'm such a terrible bike rider. Yeah, I know. I know the sheer fact that you crashed with training wheels is astounding to me. I don't even get that. I didn't even know that was possible, but whatever. Okay. Get back up on your bike. Come on. We're on a bike ride together. We're going to go have fun and your heavenly father's ready to move on. Finally, like every good preacher, he sounds like he's finishing, but he's not. Finally, brothers pray for us that the word of the Lord, that the gospel and all that Jesus taught us may speed ahead, meaning unhindered into the hearts of the people. May it be honored and not rejected as has happened among you when you received it with full hearts and that we missionaries breaking ground in the world may be delivered from wicked and actively evil men because not all have faith. One commentary said that's the understatement of the century. Yeah, I get it. We're the minority. We're not, we are not the majority. Not all have faith. You're right. And so there's going to be difficulty. I wish I had time to talk to you about the power of intercession. I don't. Let me just tell you this. If Jesus didn't believe in the power of prayer, he wouldn't have prayed. If Paul didn't believe in the power of intercession, he wouldn't have asked for prayer over and over and over again. If you don't believe in the power of prayer, that's your fault. You're not Christian in your thinking in that regard. You are not acting like Jesus. You are not acting like Paul the apostle. You're not following the example that was set before you. We are people of prayer. We are people of intercession. We are even people and ever increasingly becoming people of fasting and prayer. And little by little, we're growing up. If we are not praying, why would we neglect such a powerful, powerful piece of our warfare? Doesn't make sense. But the Lord is faithful. Hey, we may doubt and have problems and faithless, and, but God is faithful. And he, praise the Lord, will establish you. He will make you firm and steadfast. He will guard you against the evil one. What does that mean? It means he will not let Satan do everything he wants to do to you does not mean that he won't let him touch you. You understand what I'm talking about? 
sometimes the best way to wake somebody up is to realize there's a true enemy there's a bad guy out there and when you happen to have a demon get all over your case and start causing havoc in your life then you quit being a little stodgy i just believe it's all cerebral sometimes god just wants to go check that out nasty looking demon all over your case right So sometimes you need to have the enemy come after you. Sometimes you need to wake up and grow up and strengthen. So sometimes the enemy is going to go after you. He's going to bring in temptation. He's going to do all sorts of things. God did not promise to give you a little bubble so that you don't really engage with life. But what he did say is that Satan will never do anything to you unless it's approved by our heavenly father. He does not get to do what he wants to do with you. He wants to destroy you. And God said, that's never going to happen. But the Lord is faithful and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we, meaning Paul and his leadership over the Thessalonians, we have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. That's a military term. May the Lord direct, may he clear away the obstacles of our hearts to the love of God. And to the steadfastness of Christ. Sometimes you need to get your eyes more on the love of God than on your problems. Sometimes you need to understand more how faithful Jesus is and not focus on how unfaithful you are. Because he's actually in charge of all this. Listen, the Holy Spirit was given to us for a variety of reasons. One of the primary reasons are because we are inadequate. If you feel inadequate today, we call that wisdom. Of course you're inadequate. That's why you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given to us. Check this out. Why? To seal us for salvation. It says that he is a deposit given to the believer of what is to come. He is a deposit, a guarantee within our hearts. He is the one to comfort us. He's the one that walks alongside us and lets us feel the love of God flow into our hearts. He's the one that leads us and reminds us and clarifies what Jesus taught. He's the one that intercedes for us when we don't know what to pray. He is the one that is the primary source of power from God for the church today. Why is he the forgotten God? It's embarrassing, our lack of understanding of the Holy Spirit, our lack of engagement with the Holy Spirit. He's the primary boost, the God we get to walk with, the one coursing through the church today. Jesus said, it's better that I go away because I'm going to give you mobile me. You know what I'm talking about? Listen. Like I said, maybe God just brought you here to boost you up and just say, you know what? I get it. It's tough. You are not alone. You've never been alone. I started it. I'll finish it. You're all right. I will shield you. I will protect you. I will walk you where you need to be walked. And I will make sure that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you and make sure that you're back home with me. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for a beautiful walk in faith through your word, demonstrating to us, Lord, your incredible love. May your love just lavish out upon us. May you, Lord, pour out our identity back into our bodies and that we would reject all this garbage from the world that keeps talking about how terrible we are. God, 
Indeed, we are broken. We are wicked. That's why we repent before you. That's why we confess. But Lord, besides what the world says, you say that you can then work with us. You say you can cleanse us. You say that we are not garbage. You say that we are right in your eyes because of Jesus. So Lord, if there is any here today that does not have your cleansing, that does not have the amazing Holy Spirit indwelling inside them, if there are any here that don't know you, Jesus, I ask that you would rescue them today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.